All right, you bunch of yahoos, strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And here we are for another episode of Toxic Masculinity. I'm here with my co-hosts, the one and only Don the Predator Fry, and yours truly, Dan to be severed. And we're here to entertain, offend, defend anyone and everyone, but here hopefully simply to wake most people up and to shove their face into the cow pie of reality called the truth. Sometimes it doesn't smell all that good nor taste all that good. So anyway, there's the introduction and we have a couple guests here right now, a couple Vietnam vets, uh, but we're here talking about war stories. We're here talking about, uh, not just war stories, we're talking about uh, their background in uh, being in Vietnam and the fact that... uh, you know, we have just the one book here that is on display right now, uh, Vagabonds. But uh, we also will be talking about a couple of their other books that uh, they have also written here as well, it's just to bring some notoriety. But uh, we're talking to a couple real men in today's world of where people wake up in the morning and have to have to, have to identify what uh, what they are and what they're going to be doing today <laughs> instead of simply just get your ass out of bed and go to work. So without further ado, I think... That's enough right there, don't you think, uh, Mr. Yeah, Fry? Yeah, that's more than All enough right. for us. And I've identified myself as a man today, as I do every other day, and I bet you guys do it too, huh? Well, I'm not touching myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Wait, wouldn't, wouldn't you identify yourself as a man when well, you touch check, yourself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could have gone animal over the night, you know? Yeah. <laughs> See if we got any horns. <laughs> you know what? I've woken up in that position before, huh? <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah, was, yeah. Only twice. Uh. But we're here, we're talking about uh, the, 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 actually, I, I'm not sure how many of the stories we've talked about so far that are in the book of Vagabonds that we've talked about. This book was actually written originally back, you said, you during we, a. We I, wrote this at, uh, during the, the uh, great quarantine. Yeah. We got quarantined in Tucson and we watched all the things on Netflix and we and said, well, what should we do now? Let's write a book about what happened when we got out of the military. Well, people, where, where did you guys hail from? Though I mean, okay, you, you, that's what you guys were stationed down at Tucson. But where, where, where did you guys come from? Where, where was where was home at that at that at, time? At that time, I was living in California, California, the People's Republic of California. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, just, I had moved to Tucson about two years <coughs> earlier because we had been negotiating with Pinal County about taking over a big portion of Pinal Air Park and running it. And they actually had put out a request for proposals for people who wanted to take over about 40% of that property. And we wrote a (laughs) proposal, and they thought about it and thought about it, and then they withdrew the request, and then they hired a study group to do a study and then they put out a new request and we submitted another proposal and everybody told us you guys are in like Flynn you've won this thing don't worry about it so I moved down here because I thought I was going to be from from where though where you I was in Newport Beach California okay California all right yep and um I moved down here because I thought I was going to be the general manager of a big huge chunk of Pinal Air Park and then they withdrew the second request and left us flat. 
And I had raised a million dollars in earnest money that was sitting in an escrow account. And my guy that put the money up said, well, screw these people. I'm taking my money and going home. So here I was in Tucson. About six months later, the same guy calls me. He's a really good guy. And he said, "Um, what are you doing, Jeff? And I said, I'm unemployed in Tucson. That's what I'm doing. And he said, well, you know, I have an idea. I want to start a whiskey called Toxic Masculinity. Are you in? And I said, I love it. I love it. I am totally in. So I was actually the second person involved in the in the, the dubious project of making toxic masculinity whiskey, which is now going pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, we're in six states with regular distribution. We're in 31 states with internet distribution, and people are starting to recognize it. And uh, it's a long process, but it's going forward, you know. Cool. Are you in Nevada? Well, the guy that I was talking about was living in Nevada at the time, so our headquarters is in Nevada. But he recently moved to Tennessee and bought 260 acres of land to build our own facilities on. Right. And the company headquarters will soon be relocated to Tennessee. You know, you got to move the corporation and all that. Right, right. That's not my thing. I'm a promoter. <laughs> Well, obviously, uh, you guys were probably shooting around different types of names. What, what did you guys come up with the name Toxic Masculinity and then settle on it? Charlie came up with it. I don't know how, but I love it. And, you know, he was, you know, he's the father of a teenage boy, and he's been really worried about what's being done to young men in this country. And uh, he had a, a real, um, you know, mission mm-hmm. to use the whiskey as kind of a way to poke the far left in the eye right. and which is so far has been very successful <laughs> we got well i mean that's what what uh, we, what don fry and i love what we look at because we came up with the name for the the podcast don actually came up with the name toxic masculinity because it was it's the absolute worst thing to be we inside stole it. the united yeah. states <laughs> we stole it from the liberals yeah yeah so it's kind of like going, well, I mean, obviously we must be some of the worst people in the world, so we want to, we want to leave with that. That's This is who we are. That's now, now that I've gotten to know you and be here in your house, you are two of the worst people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to you. Uh, I'll that After that trip down the cow path to get you. <laughs> the only thing missing was some kind of Guernsey out there moving into the wind. Or, or a raptor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, every year, every few days, you can see a bunch of black helicopters fly across and oh, yeah. go back all, to, to all the back. Right. We used all to right. be Wait, 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 wait. Back up. First of all, all helicopters at distance appear to be black. <laughs> yes. It's just the way but, optics work. But when, when they're, the five, government miles, does not when they're use, five miles away, <laughs> they are black. They don't use black ones. Well, I'm no, telling they, you. They paint them up with all kinds of Gary's, you know, Channel 5. Right. The evening news. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ambulance, you know, cover them up. They're usually gray. <laughs> All righty, Danny. Yeah, I'm Next. Just, I'm, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at that. You know, couple, uh, a couple of young guys from California end up in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Come up, come up with oh. a toxic masculinity name. You guys are based there. I mean, I'm just like going... Just, 
He was there. We've, we've been using Marana as a training area for 26 years. Right. We've run uh, shooting courses there, driving courses there, uh, you know, training bodyguards for foreign nationals. We trained 150 bodyguards for the richest guy in Mexico at one time down there. And we trained 1,600 Marines for pre-deployment to Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been, yeah, September 1996 was the first time we used Marana as our training site. And uh, it's pretty, it, it was pretty nice it used in those to be days. Fun. When Evergreen added, it's not, it, we're, it, we're still using it, but it's degraded considerably. Yeah, you know the story behind Marana? No. It, it was a CIA, base, right? in World War II, they trained fighter pilots. So all the buildings... There, they have these little rooms that are pilot ready rooms. They got a bed, the bathroom, and that's it, right? And they're in, you know, the old World War II style one story buildings and that. And then after, after the war, they uh, they were training. The agency was training uh, Mountaineer, which was the Tibetan um, resistance against the Chinese communists. They were training the Chinese forces, pilots, and air crews to do airdrops and that over there in, uh, in the Himalayas. And then the guy from uh, Evergreen bought it, and it became, uh, for the, us in the business, it's not Evergreen, it's Everslime. Evergreen's been sued by everybody, including the Catholic Church, and has never lost a lawsuit. Really? Yeah. So he had it for years. His son had a really uh, intact collection of World War II and uh, later uh, aircraft. He also had two functional tanks and a uh, couple of half-tracks and a... Uh, going to make a stop here. Wow. This glass <laughs> that, that were out there, too. And then when his son died, the old man sold all the aircraft and that. And then a new group came in and bought it. And uh, that's who runs it now is some... Air group, you know, that's it for a long time. It was the place where the space shuttle 747 was was uh, hangered, and it, it's a sea check facility. Yeah, every year, or every so many cycles, every aircraft that flies with a U.S. number on it has to have a sea check, where they, you know, they uh, X-ray the wings and they go over all the engines, they clean the windows, kick the tires. And out it goes in that. So it's a sea check facility still to this day. But all the old buildings out there have been raised except for the ones just right around the uh, the air the airstrip. Yeah. Right now there's about 400 aircraft parked out there. That when when the uh, quarantine came along, everybody in the world that owned airplanes that couldn't fly them anymore said, what? Time to do the sea check. Sent them down to Marana and piled in mechanics and did sea checks on everything they had in their fleet, and they're gradually starting to bleed off and go back into the, back into the industry. But if you go out there today, you see a ton of planes out there. Mm. <coughs> but they, you know, it's an interesting place. It's got a lot of history out there. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, along the I mean, the same travels out that way. There's a lot of old B fifty two graveyards stuff like no, that. No, no, that's that's uh, Davis Moth. That's Davis Moth. That, that's that's, that's, that's the other side of Tucson. Okay. Boneyard down. There. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I, I get. I've, I've yeah. seen those. If you go down to ten, when you get just before when you go by 
Sirocco Peak or whatever it is. Picacho Peak. Go, Picacho Peak. You look <laughs> off to the right, you'll see all these tails of big aircraft sitting out there. That That's Marana, Pina Air Station. Mile 232. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we went there first. Then we almost got thrown out of there. Like Several times. About a year and a half because we started a fantasy camp. <laughs> this is in the book, too. Not very much, but it's touched on. We started a fantasy camp that was selected by the Travel Channel as the number one fantasy camp in the world. And it was Secret Agent Fantasy Camp. Three days of being a secret agent. We did driving, we did shooting, we did a hostage rescue, we did code breaking, all kinds of stuff. Surveillance detection, dead drops, live drops. So USA Today newspaper comes out. And they said, um, they, they did a complete article with pictures about it on the, in their Friday, which is their weekend edition. And big headlines, four inches tall, spy camp, okay? And then it goes and talking about how it's at Pinelore <coughs> Park in Moran, Arizona, right? Well, the guy that ran the place for Evergreen pulls me aside and goes, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Good got to stop this you have any idea how much time and effort we put into trying to convince people that we are not a front for the cia <laughs> and you come out with a freaking four inch banner headline spy camp about this place this is not good i'm afraid we're going to have to never let you back on this place again well, Evergreen was owned by just one guy a guy named del smith who had been on the board of directors of Air America. Yeah. So I had a very, very close friend I, who I consider a mentor. He and I go back a ways, and he was a very infamous CIA guy. Uh, wound up getting indicted by Congress over Iran Contra and then pardoned by George Bush the first. Well, uh, Senator Church told him, said, well, Mr. So-and-so, I believe you only have a casual acquaintance with the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I I called him and I said, hey, do you know Del Smith? And he goes, well, you know, a little. Uh, We've met. He said, but I got a buddy of mine who, like, plays golf with him every week. They're they're (laughs) super tight. I said, well, can you call your buddy and have him tell Mr. Smith that I'm a cool guy and they really shouldn't throw me out of their facility? (laughs) And... The next time I went there, they literally had girls throwing rose petals in front of me when I was walking. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we own that place. But unfortunately, in 2011, Evergreen gave up the lease. That's why we were angling to take it over. Right. They leased the airport half out, but the guys that moved into the airport didn't want the other half. So it it just and to this day it's just sitting going back to the desert. Yeah. They've never arrested decay. We, we offered to spend three million dollars a year for four years to completely renovate everything and Jeez. Nothing. P- Penal County makes the Biden administration look like a civics class. <laughs> <laughs> really. I mean the people are just what where did you people come from? Well, we found out later there were two county commissioners that were making the decisions that had never even been there. Okay. It's only an hour and 15-minute drive from Florence, and they'd never right. come down. So 
What are you going <laughs> to do, politicians? We had a lot, a lot of interesting people that came out there though that took the took the class. How how long did that 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 camp go go for? I mean, uh, before it, we we started a second one in the Virgin Islands in the 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 class started in 1998. We started a second one in 2000 in the Virgin Islands, and we closed it all down immediately after 9-11. Our opening day was 9-11. Yeah, well, yeah. It, was, it was actually 9-12. We are standing on the top of, of the, the house we'd rented there in St. Thomas and that, drinking a cup of coffee and watched the plane fly into the World Trade Center. And I yelled down at Dennis. I said, Dennis, I think you might want to come up here and see this. See, he was back in the States. I was back in the States getting uh, brochures printed. Uh, and uh, and he called me. It was 6 o'clock in the morning in California, and I was sleeping on my ex-wife's living on. room floor. <laughs> how so, fast do you think we can sell these rubber boats and <laughs> Yamaha engines? Because yeah. we're going to need to. Yeah. No, it was done. Well, the we, cruise ship... It was it was for it was a cruise ship excursion. The second one, the one down in the Caribbean, okay, was for guy, people getting off cruise ship guys getting off cruise ships because we had met with the cruise industry and they said they got all kinds of stuff that women love to do, mostly shop, but they don't have that many attractions <laughs> that men like to do. So we come up, we got the perfect thing a a a. Pirates of the Caribbean rescue mission with paintballs and an amphibious landing on a small island. And uh, they'll love it. And the cruise ship industry thought it was wonderful, right? But yeah. on 9-11, the cruise ship industry shut down and they did not reopen traffic into uh, St. Thomas until April of the following year. And we didn't have anywhere near enough money in the bank to sustain oh, yeah. us we took all a bat. that time. We took We'd a already bat. spent $180,000 building up the stupid island. So we lost it all. We, lo we lost everything. We sent a guy down, two guys down there. One was an ex-French intelligence agent. Yeah. And the other guy worked for the State Department. Or was Safe at Harvard or State well, yeah, yeah. He claimed to work he, for the State he Department. Ran up, he Oddly ran enough, I didn't know the State Department actually had people posing as South African officers in Namibia. But, hey, what do I uh, know? Who knows? <laughs> he ran up a $700 bill with porno films from oh, the wow. rental, rental film industry and left it. When our other partner, the Penguini, got down there... <coughs> um, the TV was still on in the house. We have no idea how long ago they'd left. <laughs> but they didn't even bother to turn the television on. Wow. <laughs> but so we so we moved down ourselves and we spent like eight months getting everything ready to go and perfect. And we did a couple of uh, test runs with uh, cruise directors from all the cruise lines and everything was just dead nuts perfect. And then 9-11 uh, hit. And not only did the cruise ship industry shut down, but we shut down the one in Arizona, too, because it was reality just interfered with the fantasy. It was too close yeah. to reality, and it just wasn't something that we felt comfortable selling as fun and games anymore. Right. So that was the end of that. Very expensive experiment. <laughs> Could you imagine losing $180,000 now? 
uh, Dad, how well do you know me? <laughs> You'd be okay. crying I, still. I, 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 I would have found that 108,000. He'd been curled up in the fetal yeah. position. <laughs> I was. Uh, the book is full of little experiences like that. Yeah. <laughs> we were on the cutting edge a number of times. Unfortunately, we were never able to parlay that into fortune that lasted for any length of time. Yeah. We got rich a couple of times. Yeah. I've personally made a million dollars three times. Yeah. And I've personally lost a million dollars 11 times. So, you know, it balances out. I, I, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that math did not balance out. Uh, yeah, well, that's what we thought, too. You got a few, few more subtractions that took place in there yeah. versus the pluses. There are definitely more subtractions than additions. As <laughs> long as you had a lot, lot of fun along the way. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. You read that book, you'll see. I mean, it was a wild, wild ride. Yeah, I wrote two books before this. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Uh, that were basically about the two years I spent in special projects. And then uh, we came down for uh, do a project for Cameroon in West Africa. And the day I got here, it was like two days later, three days later, we leased an apartment to... Because the thing was, we we were selling, leasing them, six, uh, um, God, what are they called? Seven thirty-seven four hundreds. Yeah. And they were doing all the livery and everything out at Marana, and sea uh, check uh, equipment, at, and uh, it just St. Patty's Day, eight o'clock at night, they came in and shut everything down, and we were stuck in quarantine for two and a half months. Holy shit. So we wrote this book in 67 days. <laughs> We're sitting there going, you know, well, we watched everything on Netflix. So right. What do we do now? Write a book. Which one? Well, okay, what was the name of the book at, at that time? This one right here? Or, this or, one, this okay. one here, okay. Vagabonds. Okay, Vagabonds, because I know that you said you would written a, a few books before that, and I, I had those names. Right, there, the two books before that were, first one was called We Few, okay, and the second one was Whispers in the Tall Grass, and they were about, the two years I spent in special projects running deep penetration reconnaissance. Where at? In Vietnam. Yeah. Vietnam, Laos, and uh, the northern targets. A long time ago. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to irritate the shit out of you because of, of that stroke I had. So sometimes my memory will go this long, sometimes will go this long, and sometimes, you know, so then... Not a problem. Uh, He's 75, I'm 74. Right. We, we got, requested yeah, and we the, same, the same, same thing and not even know it. <laughs> we didn't even need a stroke to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Did it on our own. You're lucky. You're lucky, shit. You waited. <laughs> well, one whole chapter in this book is basically about me being sick. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, you got the... You got the squirts down there? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was in Burma advising the Karen National Liberation Army, which is one of the ethnic freedom fighter groups in Burma. Yeah. Uh, it's the same group that supposedly rescued Stallone at the end of the fourth Rambo movie. Oh, yeah. Only I was with the real guys. And I got dengue fever for the second time, and I was really sick. My temperature was about 106, and... I was delirious, and I got out of my little bamboo hut to pee and walked off a 100-foot cliff. Holy shit. 
Fortunately, who, I, I who found you then? I the Karen. The Karen. They the heard all the, the noise of me because I was tumbling through the brush. Laying in the wire down below. Yeah. I, I was tumbling through the, because there was vegetation on the side of the cliff. It's jungle. And I was falling and rolling, and I hit a tree and broke my left collarbone. Then I went through some other kind of foliage and put three huge gashes from my knee all the way up to my hip. And I finally got tangled up in the foliage and was hanging upside down about 40 feet down from the lip. And the Karen heard the commotion, thought the Burmese army might be coming up, <laughs> and ran to the lip all locked and loaded, ready to repel borders. And I'm hanging upside down there and going, Ehh. I'm with you guys. <laughs> so they dragged me up. It took four of them to drag me back up. And they laid me out on a tarp. And the only medical supply they had was a gallon jug of denatured alcohol. So they wet down some towels mm. and swabbed Ooh. me off, which immediately put me into shock because I had a 106-degree fever. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I got, on a, got into a boat and went down river. They threw me into a pickup truck, drove me to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I spent a month in, the, in and out of the hospital in Chiang Mai. Yeah. It's in there. Yeah. We sent them for rubies, and they came back with rabies. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the first book, Vagabonds? Was that, you said that was the first this book? This is the book first book we wrote together. together. We, okay. Yeah, collaborated. Can we go back, back in time? How, how old were you gentlemen at that time in Vietnam? How old were we when? How old were you at that time? That time? My, first, my first trip to Vietnam, I was like uh, 18, 19. And my the trip that I wrote the two books about, I was 23. But still, I mean, can you imagine any of these uh, young millennials uh, <laughs> making some of these trips right now? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a whole different... Uh, uh, the millennials can't even make up their mind about which ice cream without crying. Right. No, they can't even decide not. which sex they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what color now, phone? Generation X, there's a lot of hope for them. The Generation X is that, which is his son, my son's generation. It's me. They, right? they still have some balls. Right, that's that's me. But but the new crowd, yeah, they're uh, they need some stiffening up. Yeah. Well, how old are you, Don? I'm fifty six, sir. Okay. Yeah, you are. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a Generation X. Yeah. Yeah. Sixty three. Sixty three. Okay, yep. you're almost an adult now. Almost, <laughs> almost an adult. Almost. <laughs> I'm trying okay. to figure out if I'm going to make it or not. You'll make Funny it. Because the, the guy I know who's the most terrifying fighter when it comes to just like a street fight is 85. Oh, and Fred. he still terrifies me. Fred. Yeah. yeah. His name's you know, Fred you, Brewster. The only thing missing are the two copper lugs sticking out of his mouth. <laughs> He does. He looks just like Frankenstein. How, how big is he? Uh, Six five two sixty. That's at eighty three years old. And if he'd never taken any martial arts, he still would have been bad. Yeah. But as it is, he's like a ninth degree black belt. Wow. What? What? Ted Kempo. Oh. oh wow. Yeah. 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 We've we've had a lot of interesting times. With he used Freddy. to take me to parties at a at the house of a guy that was involved very heavily in the. Mixed martial arts, when it, King of the Cage, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Dominic, something started with an R. 
He had a house in Huntington Beach that looked like the Hogwarts Academy in the Harry Potter's movies. Yeah. Gray stone with gargoyles and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. We used to go over there. There was always all kinds of mixed martial arts UFC guys there. I didn't, you know, they were just, there was a, Huntington what? Beach was a big center. Right. Wasn't that. Rusty yeah. Coons involved in no, that crowd? No, Rusty just beat yeah. people up in bars. You know what, who he's talking about, Dominic? Well, again, I mean, just for the, the area they talk about, Huntington Beach, that was the stopping grounds of both for Tank Abbott right. and uh, for uh, right. Tito. Tito Ortiz. So yeah. I know what they'll cook for. I think uh, Fred was one of Tito Ortiz's instructors at one point. Really? Yeah. 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 He was a mere lad of 68 or something. <laughs> and then, well, I was 47 when the first UFC match was held. So Fred's 10 years older than me. So he was 57. So. Wow. Yeah, we didn't quite make the curve. For yeah. <laughs> Thank God, because I would have been just stupid enough to try my hand at something like that and gotten myself killed. <laughs> That's, yeah. We've had a lot, of, a lot of discussions about that, you know, about people, movie stars and other people who, you know, you, you didn't. They didn't offer me enough money to do it. You know, blah blah blah. You know, yeah. well, bullshit. You know, if you're a competitor, you're yeah. a competitor. You people like that little midget De Niro. Yeah, <laughs> right. Played played all these bad guys, and he thinks he's one. Oh, what a yeah. fucking asshole! Oh, huh? Him and him and the boss from New Jersey. I'd like to be in a, alone in a room with both of them. In fact, I'll be blindfolded, is. and you can tie my foot to my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty flexible. I'm not that flexible. I am. <laughs> I am. I've, I've been married three times. <laughs> I, I can't even see my foot. <laughs> How many page book is that? I, I did not get a chance. I, I just saw, uh, I saw the, the front cover. Or 212 or something like that. It's yeah. 200 and something. I don't know. Look at it. They're all numbered. Yeah, I'm just, just kind of curious. Except that one. You see how many months it's going to take you to read? Or is it pictures? Is it pictures <laughs> of the book? 228. 228. And you guys, you, you said you wrote it in six weeks? And so what, 67 days. Oh, 67 days. Well, but what it is is all the stories in the book we've been telling in bars for years. And people always say, oh, wow, you, you guys ought to write down. a book. Yeah, okay. You ought, to, you ought to write those down. Had nothing else to do. So we said, let's, yeah. Nothing else to do. So we wrote down all of our bar stories. Not all of them. Not all well, of them. Yeah, some I mean, of them are some, not. Some, 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 uh, there's more left out than there is included in that right. book. And sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines. Like the first time we met uh, Liz Taylor. <laughs> he, he's out in the, in the limo. I had to go inside. I, I knew Moshi a little better than he did. He says, uh, uh, what's his name? Roddy McDowell? Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell's sitting with her. And, and she's a very gracious lady. You know. So I'm in there, and I'm about half tanked. <laughs> and uh, I go Which inside. Pretty much and, and, all and, the time. And, and he keeps ragging me. He says, get her autograph. I want her autograph. I need her autograph. I, I, I drummed into my head. We get there, and she goes, oh, it's... Boshi's going to lead me out. And he says, uh, introduced me, and I'd say hi. And he says, is there anything I can do for you? I said, well, you know, my partner has seen every one of your movies at ah. least six times in that. Could you possibly do an autograph for him? And she says, well, I, I don't have anything that I could write on. I said, what about your underwear? <laughs> I never, my feet never touched the floor all the way to the doorway. <laughs> and it gets me outside, and she goes, why would you say something like that? 
I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> seemed like the time at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why we lost all that money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Inappropriate behavior. Yeah, think, things like that are not career enhancing. No, no. But they make good stories in the book, so... Hopefully it'll all come back around and the book will make it all right. <laughs> We're, one of the chapters in the book is about us being Elizabeth Taylor's bodyguard for a brief stint. Ooh, how was that? Oh, it was okay. interesting. Well, hey, how old was she? How old was she? Oh, this was, she was in her late 50s. Oh. Yeah, this was, um, it was when she, she might have been a little younger than that, but so were we. Uh, right. Well, it was when she introduced her first perfume, Elizabeth. Passion. We, we were we did the security at the release parties for Elizabeth Taylor's Passion perfume. It must have been a dangerous. Uh, oh, it was the guy who was her you know, chief of security was a guy named was Moshe alone, who was an Israeli. Oh yeah, yeah. That we'd met uh, during the uh, the '84 Olympics, and then he per parlayed that into. Bodyguard of the stars and all that. And he had all these Israelis that worked for him, and every one of them was, I was in the Mossad. Right. Yeah, sure you were. Okay. <laughs> you were a clerk in an airborne battalion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's the Mossad this week, okay. So he has us come up to, to help supervise the crew that's there. So Jeff and I are floaters. We're wandering around, going in and out, and you know, making sure all the guards are where they're supposed to be, keeping the paparazzi back. And it was at the guy's house who owned Herbalife. Herbalife, yeah. yeah. And they they had this had a casino in the bottom floor of the of the guest quarters or whatever it was out there with you know the one armed bandits and all that. Yeah. And there was a bathroom, big thing that you know that was reserved for Miss Taylor, and nobody was supposed to be used in. So Miller and I are kind of roaming around the crowd, and we set that up as our pivot base to come back. And Zaja Gabor falls in love with him. All right. She's like, oh, my beautiful Captain Nemo. I started calling the men's, the, the John, the Nautilus, the Nautilus after a while, because he'd <laughs> pop in there to hide from her. And uh, Jose. Yeah, uh, something like that. With his little straw hat and his pigtail. <laughs> He, DK, he came down to go use the bathroom, and Miller tells him, you know, this is reserved for Miss Taylor. Well, I'm so-and-so. So, so great. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go inside, and he tossed him into the, into the pool yeah. with all the imported frogs and the lily pads. <laughs> and when he surfaced, his, his hat was gone, and so was his hair. Yeah. You'll oh. yeah. <laughs> never work in Hollywood again. Too bad. Yeah, hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only temporary anyway. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they were taking her out, there was uh, a member of the light and the sneakers crowd who had snuck into the bathroom. And then finally, he took all his clothes off except a pair of black dress socks. And as a, her the Praetorian guard of Israelis are taking her out to the car and that, he pops up amongst the one-armed bandits and going, oh, Miss Taylor, I've seen all your films. I, I've just, uh, I love it so much. And they swarmed him. <laughs> Got him on the floor, beating on him. And going, oh, I love this job. Oh, love so, yeah, that was our... Hollywood yeah, but try following her around Neiman Marcus, watching her try on shoes for three or four straight hours. Who? 
Elizabeth. Oh, wow. And, uh, and the glamour of bodyguard work fades really yeah. quickly. Especially when she was trying on a pair of just plain black pumps. Just that they sell at every shoe store in the world, right? right? And I'm looking at the price, and they're like 350 bucks. And this is in like 1983, right? When 350 bucks could actually buy something. Yeah. And I'm like, I said, Miss Taylor, you know, you can get these at any JC Penney's for 35 bucks. And she grabs my cheek and gives me a pinch and, and little, oh, like, you're so cute. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Like sh she'll never pay that kind of price for anything. Yeah, no, yeah. of course not. It's Peter yeah. Falk showed up at this party with a woman, absolutely gorgeous, that her her dress was being held up by her nipples. Oh, and he oh. was she was I, walking around. I hate that when that happens. And he's 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 sitting there. He's going, you know, I could rob everybody in this place. They wouldn't even know it. Yeah, nobody's watching. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> okay, man. Yeah. Wow, she was spectacular. Yeah. yeah. That was our that was our one and only venture into being bodyguards for the stars. <laughs> Lasted about what four months. Yeah, but that like the the woman that was the guy that made all the toys for McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> she was a piece of work. She was. You heard the term "dumb blonde." Yeah, oh, of course. This one, she lent credence to all of that. She had she had two Rottweilers in the house, that were like vicious. And she'd always forget to call the front gate where the, the guard was and tell him, hey, I'm letting the dogs out. So there's three or four guys got bit. So I show up for work one day, and uh, I had some lobster sandwiches, <laughs> lobster salad, and put them in a paper bag, stuck them on the chair that's sitting outside the thing there, and the, there's a the old carriage house is, is where the garage is with yeah. the French doors and that. I go in there to activate the alarms and that. And I turn around and two, two Rottweilers are chewing my food up. <laughs> chewing it up. Sitting around. And I walked over to the door and I'm going, you son of bitches. And they came over to the door and they're like growling at me. I said, okay, big dog. So I opened a door a crack and pissed on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Alpha dog shit, right? Next thing you know, they're at my feet. One of them's in my lap. <laughs> Moshi shows up to check on me. He goes, oh, you've tamed the dogs. And he stepped inside the door, and they chewed his whole ass end out of his suit pants. Oh. <laughs> well, they were all right for me, Moshi, yeah. but they're not quite ready for you. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do something manly. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got arrested. Well, not arrested. Got stopped in Palm Desert. I used to run three miles every morning, and I'm running it was up obviously the road. A long time I used ago. to too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm running up the road, and this woman's out there in her chinos or high heels, clipping along like Peg Bundy and that, and got this Sharpay, uh, and the Sharpay's on not on a leash. It sees me, triggers its prey response, runs up, nips me on the back of the leg. I snatched the dog, bit it as hard as I could behind its ear, yelps. Down, rolls over on his stomach. We're fine, right? Right. She calls the cops. Of course, of course. Cops show up. Young patrolman comes up, and a dog's still running around loose. It's $270 fine being off the leash, right? 
and I'm wiping my leg off, and the dog's right there, and she's on the phone. And he, oh, he, he, he grabbed Fifi, and he just attacked her for no reason whatsoever. The guy he took her story, and he came over to me. He goes, uh, so uh, what happened? Well, you know, running, got the dog off the leash, as you can see, and triggered his prey response, and just ran up and bit me. He goes, did you bite the dog? Yeah. Why did you bite the dog? <laughs> it's an alpha male thing. I just told you the dog bit me. And he goes, oh. So he goes back over and he tells the broad, he says, uh, he wrote her a ticket for $274. And he tells her, you should hope that this guy doesn't sue you because that dog is off the leash in that. And uh, every after that, every time the cops would go by, they'd see me on the road, they'd go, hey, woof, <laughs> don't bite the coyotes. They got rabies. <laughs> I'm, I'm just hoping we can find the pavement on the way home. Yeah. That'll be a big step. Oh, the pavement's about a mile and a half that way. Yeah, yeah I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Go down to where the turkey was last very, September yeah, and take a yeah, right. There's a woman in the book yeah. called the Spider Woman. <coughs> she has a real name, but we couldn't use it. Yeah. And she's in there, and she's in three or four different chapters in there. She's a very good friend of mine. Crazy as uh, Mark, Matt is Matt a, is a more woman, chair. is it? What woman uh, is it? Tell me that. Uh, yeah, well, this one is like the one that all the other women strive to be. The Got an advanced degree. But she in used to live on a ranch in Hamul's in San Diego County, down in California, and it was the same thing. You'd drive, and then you'd turn, and then you'd drive down a smaller street, and then you'd turn onto an even smaller, and then you'd turn into a dirt street, and you'd drive, and you'd turn off to another dirt street to find her place. And when we're driving out her, I'm like, Jesus, it's like going to the Spider Woman's house. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, same thing. What dirt, I thought. Dirt roads. Only thing missing was the stream. <laughs> you, obviously, if you would have came in the other direction, there is a stream. Yes. A, a, a dry, I should say, a dry, of dry creek right of now. Of course. You came up the hill, right? We came the back way. I mean, yeah. we were on dirt we're, roads for at least 25 minutes. We couldn't miles. find... You came up the, the, the steep incline? We couldn't find Cloud 9. Yeah, that's the steep I'm sure we passed it Golden twice, Ranch so Road, we found directions. that. Yeah. And then Equestrian Trail, yeah. which eventually became a coyote den. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went down, when we turned off under the dirt... <laughs> On Equestrian Trail, we made a right, we took the right fork instead of the left fork, right. which was Golden Ranch. Right, right. But it just, we drove and drove and drove and drove off into nowhere <laughs> on Golden Ranch. And and even the lady on the GPS gave up. <laughs> kept, kept yelling at us. Turn around, you dodos. Make a U-turn. Turn around. You turn, fucked up. Turn left in 50 feet. Turn yeah, right yeah. in 60 feet. We're, we're like, what? You're right? stuck on the left for like 20 minutes. Take a left at 600 feet. Or you've done that. Well, there's nothing there but a gate and a cow. Right. <laughs> anyway, we eventually found it. It was it was an adventure. Well, you know, we couldn't give you directions. So we were told that. You all could find your way, you know. Well, not, we did. Not to bother. Yeah. <laughs> took about 20 is, minutes longer than we thought it would. It's called veiled sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> With a thin veil. Yeah. Very thin. <laughs> yeah, it's not very, not covered up very well. But you gentlemen just drove in from, two, was it Tucson? Tucson. Okay, so you, you lived. 17 you, miles. <laughs> you know, 
Well, we went way more than 17 miles. 17 miles. It only took 17 minutes until you got to the dirt. Yeah. And that took another yeah. half hour. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, most of it's just driving up Oracle. <coughs> just, we live on Orange Grove about three miles west of Oracle. So we came down Orange Grove to Oracle. We yeah. got on Oracle. We drove up. We got off on uh, Golden whatever. Go to Rancho. Go to Rancho. Go to Rancho. So what, what do you guys do now? You do And after that, things just went to hell in a handbag. Yeah, that's podcasts. Yeah, that's all I can do now. Yeah, I got a feeling that's not the truth and the whole truth. <laughs> I'm just going to guess you guys. You guys came to Tucson again years ago, and you guys have ran project after project. You guys have just never, never have left. Well, it's only I mean, been four uh, years now yeah. that we both lived here. I lived here two years, and he's lived here two years. Two years. So I've lived here four years yeah. total. Um, We've left. I mean, I lived in the Sudan. I mean, over time, from night from the early 1960s to now, I mean, I've lived in Massachusetts, North Carolina, Texas, California, Germany, Kuwait. I mean, all over the place. He's lived in Vietnam and Thailand. Well, he came from Minnesota originally. Oh yeah. Yep. Which which of the ten thousand lakes? And one one muskie. <laughs> and there is only one muskie. I I went there. I, mean, I spent some time in Minnesota. <coughs> I, Guy named Brad Reagan's. He he broke Brad Reagan's broke me into pro wrestling over there. And, uh, well, I still remember Vern Ganya. Yeah, he worked for Vern. Yeah, and uh, Minnesota was a, was a hot. What was the other guy? The pretty boy, uh, something had the pink. Uh, uh, well, your governor. Uh, <laughs> oh well, Jesse. Hey, Jesse, Jesse I like Jesse. Ventura, yeah. yeah, I knew Jesse. He's when like he was every a other. I liked seal. him until I met him. Yeah. And then was well, a, he's he's a seal. When when he was he, actually when we say it, we, it's pronounced this way. Seal, <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, he was—he uh, was a big kid. He was—he was up at Tom Dushan when I was over at CCN. Yeah, but Tom Dushan was a naval base in Da Nang, where all the nasty boats uh, went out from, and they had a seal detachment right there. But he was—he was there when same year I was at, uh, at CCN. He's that old? Huh? He looks much better than you. <laughs> He shaved his head. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Boy, don't you know, he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? When you quit working out, man, all that yeah. all that muscle mass turns to flap. You've done pretty well for yourself, by the way. Well, thank you, but I'm not, not that quite old yet, so. Yeah, well, you're what, 50? Six, yes, sir. It's a good year for Chevrolets. Yeah, <laughs> ain't that right, yeah. <laughs> 55, 56, 57, yeah. Yeah, the transmission fit in all of them. Yeah. From the 54 or 55 through the 62, the same engine and the same transmission. Hmm. 283 and the standard transmission. I know because I used to steal them. Yeah. <laughs> I used to break into junkyards and tip the suckers up on the side. Could take a, I had two guys that, that I knew that we could take a transmission out of a, out of a Chevy in under 11 minutes. And be gone with it. <laughs> was there a big demand uh, at oh, that yeah. time for? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And he's thinking about a new career right now. He's, <laughs> oh, today you got to have an MIT degree you know, to get in there. I read up a little bit on you guys. You were his coach in college. Is that well, that? basically, I, I was coaching at Arizona State University at, at I the time. I thought it was the other way around. No, no, no. He's the <laughs> old one. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> oh, this this finger pointing a bit old. I don't like that combination. <laughs> well, <right now>. so, <laughs> okay, but but no, I, I actually I was coaching. I, I from you. Earlier, when you asked where we're from, I'm from the state of Michigan, born and raised from Michigan, which, which and then went to college at Arizona State. Oh, okay. And then upon uh, graduation, I ended up uh, coaching alongside Bobby Douglas. <coughs> a couple of my younger brothers uh, basically were in a place, and uh, Don shared uh, a room there with uh, at, at the same household. It was, oh. a, it was a pigsty. I mean, literally, it was one of those places. <laughs> I that, was born uh, in Highland Park. Oh, really? This is kind of like uh, we talked about that earlier today. I wouldn't be wearing... Uh, T-shirts to shorts here in Michigan today. I, it was going to start off with a nice, cool uh, 25 degrees and warm up to 30, I can't 35. believe you're wearing a T-shirt and shorts right now. But it's because I'm, I'm fr- freezing. I've, it's because <laughs> I'm from Michigan and you guys have been out here and you're, you're acclimated yes. to this temperature. I'm still from Michigan right now, so Tony, I'm good. Shut up that fan, please. The, the funny thing is, I was born in Southern California. He was born in, in uh, Detroit. But he, he was raised in northern Minnesota where he could spit into Canada. He loves the heat. I hate it. <laughs> oh, so, Arizona summers are brutal. I mean, when the brochure reads, you're guaranteed 100 days of 100 degree weather or better. Oh, that brochure is right. Yeah. And I suffer oh, yeah. when it starts moving north of 100. Oh, me too. I spent a year with a Bedouin tribe out in the middle of what the Saudis called the empty quarter, uh, testing radio. Well, it actually wasn't a year, it was nine months. And uh, it was, uh, I, got the, I got the assignment through punishment, which is how I went through most of my assignments. <laughs> punishment. You're oh. going to ranger school. Uh, How so. about your brief stint in bed tolls? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I came back from Vietnam. I got sent to Bad Tolls, Germany. Right? I'm in my lightweight greens, arriving Bad Tolls. It's two below zero, and it's a howling wind. And they put us up in the transient barracks over the top of uh, 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 Bad Tolls. used to be the SS officer school. And the U.S. Army took it over afterwards. Now it's the 7th Army NCO Academy, and the 10th Special Forces Group Forward Battalion is there. So I'm up in the, the attic, and at 5 o'clock in the morning, the staff duty NCO comes up and wakes me up. He goes, uh, wake up. And he's got a parka, big heavy Arctic mitts, Mickey Mouse boots, the big rubber boots, insulated boots and that. And a hat, scarf, and all that. And he says, you got a five-ton license on your records. Get dressed. Go down to the motor pool. There'll be somebody there to show you what to do. You're going to draw a snowplow. Okay. So I get dressed. I go down. They issue me a snowplow. And uh, it's a big five-ton dump truck filled with sand in the back. It's got a big blade with a blower on it with an auger in there and all that and Drive me out, show me how to swip around. And my job is to come back in. Bad Tolts is built like a quadrangle, buildings on all four sides with two big gates. 
the main gate coming in and the back gate going out. The back gate goes out to the drop zone and the front gate goes out on the main highway and that. And it had snowed like the Dickens the night before. So there's all these, there's like three, two, three foot of snow and all these mounds on one end that I didn't find out till later what they were. <laughs> and uh, they showed me how to use it. You put the blade down, you go, you're going along, and the heater don't work. Ooh. So I'm scraping the inside of the windshield with a scraper and trying to look out and do the, you know, see what I have to do. And that got the middle of it all plowed out. And I started working over towards the end. There was these, they looked like moguls. You know what a mogul is? Uh, Ski mogul, the okay, little yep, hill yep, in yep. that. <laughs> so I took a swing. Well, I had stopped, and I'd gotten a bottle of apple corn uh, schnapps. Just to take a little bit off of the, uh, the heater. The edge, work, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm swilling down to apple corn and that. Get over in a corner, and I swing along. And every time they had uh, the whole thing is brick. It's like cobblestones made out of brick, pavers and that, you know. And it's got ice on it, and it, and it growls. When you hit ice, so I clink, and I went through one of the moguls, and I kept going out the back gate. I turned the blower on, and the Opal engine shot out the out the blower. <laughs> Turns out there had been a 1956 Opal there that the group commander and the group sergeant major had been spent two years rebuilding. Restoring Ooh. from the frame up, and and I swear to God, that blade sawed it like it was a surgical knife. Took the whole front from the back seat, was it was still intact. Everything forward of that was in the in the grinder. <laughs> and that. When I turned out the gate, there was two guys that were watching me, supposed to be supervising. When the Opal engine came flying out, they took off running and never stopped. So they bring me in, and the, the commander at that time was a. I didn't like him. He's, Nobody liked like you. Either. Nobody liked him. Yeah. <laughs> He's screaming at me. He's going, oh, you know, you people coming from Vietnam. You, you know, you're all the same. You know, you gotta be this, gotta be that. You know, I'm gonna. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, all right. There's only one way out of this. Well, I mean, the, the car was actually buried in the snow, wasn't it? I mean, oh yeah, it was. It was completely covered with snow. I didn't know what it was. It, you know, it was whatever. You know. I also ran over their cannon, so it was a double. <laughs> Double on time. Yeah, probably. So he's going. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna send you back to Vietnam. Oh, please, sir, please don't send me back there. I mean, I I can't take it. My nerves are shot. I couldn't. You know, that. <laughs> That's it. You're out of here. Seventeen days. Seventeen days and fourteen hours, and I was out of there. And they had this. <laughs> was, was that a record? I mean, the way that you. It actually was a record. It actually was a record. <laughs> And all the guys that came in with me are going, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. Yeah, the, his Sergeant Major used to get dressed up. If you went to his house and he saw you coming, he was in civilian. He'd go change into a uniform. So he'd greet you at the door in a uniform. When when he went to Vietnam, he, his only function was he was a master sergeant at the time. And he, his job was running the ice cream parlor at group headquarters Jeez. in the track. Wow. Yeah, that's a combat tour there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to impress me when I get back. <laughs> Which one was that? Which of the two horrible sergeant majors of bad talk was Pialetti. it? Pialetti. Pialetti. Because my 
personal I saw the colonel later, years later. He showed up at the, we have a thing called the Special Operations Association that uh, he showed up at the co- at the convention. And I went, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he's looking at me. He said, I said, you don't remember me, do you? He said, you threw me out of bad toll. I got two things to say to you. The Uniform Code of Military Justice does not cover your chicken ass at this point. And number two, if you're still here by nightfall, you're a dead man. And he was gone. Of course, I had Jay Graves with me. Yeah, well, that helps. Kept pulling his derringer out. Want me to shoot him? <laughs> Did I shoot him? Jay Graves is a <laughs> was a interesting legend. legend from the old, old days in Vietnam of the original Project Delta going back into the uh, early 60s. Yeah. He was a wild man. He always had at least four guns on him. <coughs> always. Huh. We're in a we're in a hotel room in in Vegas, one of the conventions, and that, and, he, and he's always giving me crap, right? I'm going, yeah, screw you, Graves. And he starts taking his clothes off. Taking his clothes off. Here comes a you know a forty caliber, then a forty five, then a Dectonics, then a thirty eight, then a, then an ankle holster. It gets down to his shorts, where I swear to God, they're silk. With little red hearts on them. <laughs> and he reaches inside and pulls out a Derringer. And I go, What are you doing? He goes, I want everybody to know I was totally unarmed when I whipped your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Jay. When he got locked in the trunk of the car? When he what? When he got locked in the trunk of the car. Oh, yeah. 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 That, I don't think that sounds like a volunteer type of operation if you get uh, locked in a trunk of a car. Oh, yeah. No. You got, you know, you got to remember Jay was broke by the 10th of every month. <laughs> that, regardless. I mean, he was always broke. He was, <coughs> he had a Lincoln and he would, he would take the seats out, the 17 way electric seats in that. And, and he called the insurance company. He goes, that somebody broke into my car down in Boston, stole the seat. But the fourth time that happened, the insurance agent goes, you know, Jay, next time these things get stolen, I don't think they're going to pay you back. Because <laughs> he'd take the money, and then he'd go to the Cape with Keith Kincaid for the weekend. and that. But anyway, he owed, he owed a bunch of bookies money. And they snatched him outside a bar one night when he was drunk and threw him in the back of his car. And... Next thing, they slammed it on there laughing. Yeah, yeah, you little son of a bitch, you're a tough son of a bitch. The next thing you hear, and a forty-five round comes through the trunk of the car, and Jay goes, now you're standing on gravel. The first thing I hear, I'm going to fill full of holes. Open this trunk. <laughs> yeah. a- interesting he's, guy. He's a prominent character in the first couple of chapters. Yeah. Uh, how many overall chapters are, are in There's the book? There's 22 stories. 22. Now, well, there's 22 chapters. I think there's two stories that take two chapters, and the rest of the chapters are an individual story. the 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 rescue of uh, of some kids out I'm of one Algeria. I'm the founding fathers. The, the <coughs> rescue of some kids from Algeria takes two chapters. And I think, oh, when we were in Russia, it takes two chapters. Those are the, and the rest are all individual stories. So, yeah, we were in the kidnap recovery business for a while. 
Yeah. Was, I loved it. I bet. Never really made much money. <laughs> but it was very but satisfying. Yeah. To get some kids back that have been kidnapped. <laughs> mm-hmm. The vicious crime when you steal someone's loved one. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and just and remember this. Get the money from the client while the tears are still wet on her cheek. Right. <laughs> the minute they get their loved one back, they get amnesia about right. owing you any money. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got a guy out of China, and um, <laughs> he never paid in full. I went up, I was on my motorcycle. I went up to see him, and he's like, I hope you're not here because you think I still owe you money. I said, well, you do still owe me money, but I'm not going to make a big fucking thing about it, you know, because why? Yeah. You know, when he was stuck in China, he would have paid anything. And he, and his, his wife paid pretty well, so what the hell? And, this, and same with the kids, you know. Once, once the deal's done, they forget about what they might the still fear, owe. right, yeah. We had some fun doing that. Yeah. Some, it, Let me tell you something. All those people that tell you they're going to help you, like the State Department and that bunch of sissies up there at George Washington you, the only thing they'll give you is the address of the nearest gay bar. That's it. <laughs> the people that held true were like the, the Union course. The Union the, course. The Corsican mob. They delivered on time. They delivered... For the money, they never asked for a penny more than what they asked for in the beginning. And when one of the people screwed us, they actually burned his boat to the waterline. <laughs> as, as that's not a good idea. This is a friend of ours, a capiche, well, you know. And and he unfortunately wound up <coughs> hanging himself, yeah, or something, or something, yeah, right. Yeah. Remember the. the the criminal mind never sleeps. And there is such a thing as honor among thieves. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, the, cor- the, the union course was very good to us. Not the fucking thieves I met. There's no honor. Well, they're, yeah, they're well, they were assholes. amateurs. They're, you know, you know, you got to talk to the people that have been in the business for we met a guy. You know, we met smugglers. a guy in uh, the south of France, in Marseille, at the Hotel Le Roule. Who, at the time, and this was in like looked like Paul Newman, ninety one, yeah. I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he looked exactly like Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah, tan face, blue eyes, <laughs> good looking guy. This was in nineteen ninety one or ninety yeah. ninety or ninety one, somewhere cut, in that cut cut finger, yeah. cut finger Joe Bianchi. Yeah, he had allegedly, from what we were told, pulled off the. Single biggest bank robbery in history when he robbed the British Bank of the Middle East in Beirut and the biggest kidnapping in history where he'd kidnapped the son of Baron Le Pen. (laughs) And his his nickname, Cut Finger Joe, was because he had cut the son of Baron Le Pen's finger off and sent it to him in the mail, right? Remember his advice? So we're, yeah, we're sitting at the <laughs> Hotel La Rule, which is the number two-rated Bouillabaisse restaurant by the Marseille Bouillabaisse Society. He knows all Feeding this. him Bouillabaisse. Soup <laughs> and Joe 
it, we had another guy, the guy that had introduced us into the union course, his name was Francois, but everybody in Marseille called him Carlos. <laughs> whose, whose female relatives used him as a sex toy when he was a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Strange man. And he, Carlos, he, is, he is a mason. Fran, yeah, we, we found Francois through the Masonic Lodge. Really? And he was about 6'4". 230 maybe Kabili. curly hair he had really serious calluses on all of his knuckles right so i said francois are you a martial artist and he goes no not really i said well i was just looking at all the calluses well i was in a parking garage <laughs> and i hit this guy with everything i had and he didn't go down I said, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? He didn't go down. So from then on, I've spent at least one hour every day punching wood. <laughs> wow. Rope wrapped wow. around. Okay. But Francois introduced us to, to Joe. But Francois had a, a solid gold Cartier tank watch. <laughs> yeah. and, and Joe kept we're, we're sitting at We're sitting at the table... Talking with Joe and 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 and, Fr and he keeps looking over and admiring Francois' watch. And every time he did, Francois' finger would start twitching uncontrollably. <laughs> but anyway, he says to us, "Well, one thing I must tell you, if you are going to be a successful kidnapper, because he didn't really quite understand what we were doing. We were trying to get we were back trying to two, rescue two and kids he that we were trying to kidnap." We were, we're not kidnapped. We're, we're trying to rescue two kids that have already been kidnapped, but it didn't quite translate. Translate anyway. So he said, well, if you are going to be a successful kidnapper, let me tell you this. If you cut the finger off of your victim, send it Federal Express. <laughs> Do not use the mail. Don't use the regular mail because it takes so long. It gets all rotten and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> That's valuable information, Joe. Write We're it down, happy man. to know that. <laughs> but we don't think you quite understand where we're coming from, but we really loved meeting you, and hey, the lunch is on us. He's <laughs> <laughs> a great guy. I love him. No, but see, we, you always run into people like that. That was, a, a, I, I guess, the theme of our lives was that we'd fall into a Benjo pit. And we'd come out the other side poorer, sometimes richer, but always enriched by the people that we met. Right. It's like tonight. Still I mean, who knows? I mean, if we've driven through a fucking cow pasture to get here, who knows what it's going to Who knows? He <laughs> made me the bull. <laughs> I tell you, who he reminds me of is Carl. Car yeah, oh, kind yeah. of. Carl But Tomat. I was thinking Davidson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Carl Tomez, who spent most of his adult life in prison. <laughs> he was the only white guy, well, Mexican, on a, on a chain gang in Georgia, all black. Yeah. And, and Carl, Carl was a piece of work. Oh, yeah. Carl, the only guy I know that could walk into it. We, we broke down on the freeway in Watts and pulled off the freeway, and the first place we ran into was all black biker bar. And I... 
pulled up, went inside, and there's a payphone there. He goes, get on the payphone, call my brother, tell him his car's broken. That. And he goes inside. I go back. I call his brother and say, come pick us up. I walk inside, and Carl's sitting at the bar, and everybody else is over in the corner, huddled, <clears throat> cowered in the corner, and that. And Carl's going, sheesh, who let all these in here? <laughs> and, the, and the bartender's going, I don't want no trouble. I know you I know you're carrying. I know you gotta be armed to be in here like that. <laughs> Carl is a piece of work. Dude, look at you're built like him too. Yeah. yeah. Well it's, it's, it was it's built like a, just it's kinda like comical you. that you like mean, a Roman legionnaire. You, you yeah. talk about Don being involved in like a a, a, a convict type of look at he actually played in a, in a movie as an actually a prisoner. That's right. A comedy with uh, yeah, alongside Rob Schneider. Yeah, Rob, Rob Schneider. Schneider. What was the name big, of the movie? Rob Schneider. Big, big, big Stan. Big yeah, Stan. Big Stan. Yeah, fun. he actually was in that. It was a fun movie, man. Met met some good people in that movie. Comedian. Yeah. Well, I, I was a, actually a technical advisor on the TV show China Beach. Really? Yeah. Stop with me. Or something like oh, that. Jesus. I, mean, I was there. He was trying to date Dana. I was trying to date was. Dana. I I, I I want to do it too. Then. I, I was maybe, maybe I was dress up my dress green <laughs> to drive him up there in a limo that he had gotten and he put in uh, a colonel's emblem on the on the bumper. I see. That. He's <laughs> moving up his right here real quickly. I was working in a gun store in Fountain, uh, <laughs> no, in Lake Forest, California. <laughs> taking a bath, and I was pot. bored out of my mind. So I thought I, I, you know, nothing was happening because we went through long periods of time of nothing before something would pop up. Yeah. Thinking about working for the post office. I mean, that, that that little skinny book covers forty years. <laughs> so anyway, I said I, I gotta think. I gotta what do, what do I want to do? I gotta do something challenging. I gotta give myself a challenge and see if I can do it. And I'd been watching this TV show, China Beach, and I thought Dana Delaney was, like, super hot. Yeah, and I like, too, yeah. Okay, she's somewhere here in the Los Angeles area. I'm, some, <laughs> I'm here in the Los Angeles area. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of way to meet this chick and get to know her. I just have to figure out exactly what the pathway is. So I started plotting and scheming, right? And I wind up up at... Frickin' Warner Brothers, or, yeah, Warner Brothers. I, I met, uh, the. I started by meeting two interns that were working on the show trying to be writers and convincing them that I knew all kinds of stuff and I had all kinds of friends who were, Don't like, experts on Vietnam and Ever. shit, and I'll bring them in here. And they wound up calling me back and saying they needed some real... Vietnamese gold for uh. one of the series. And if I could bring some real Vietnamese gold, I could come up to the ranch up north of L.A. where they were filming. And, uh, you know, they welcomed me with open arms. So I'm like, and where did I borrow the Vietnamese gold? <laughs> Only I wouldn't give him it. So he took me along. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. I had a, at that time, well, I you had wanted a, to see Dana Delaney five, too. Five ounce chain, a <laughs> a five ounce bot chain with a yeah. Mac V Sog emblem hanging from it, right? and so a, and an emblem that said "fuck peace." There is uh, actually a episode of China Beach where the guy Dodger, Jeff Kober, 
is supposedly looking for gold. And he comes back and he meets with Dana Delaney and he <laughs> opens his hand and Nick's bot chain falls out. Right? So I, I, I got it that far, right? And then I did this whole thing where I was a government somebody important yeah. with a limousine with flags on the fenders and a driver in full <laughs> mufti. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know, went along. The caterer on that job to, was awesome. The interesting Food. thing is, one of those two interns that I originally met is now one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood. Cool. Her name's Tony Graffia, and you ever see that uh, show uh, Outlander? Yeah. About the chick that goes through the stones to ancient Scotland. That's her show. Oh, she cool. wrote it. She produced it. She owned it. So she's like a big deal now. And she was one of the two interns. In fact, I helped her write her second published teleplay that was an episode of China Beach. Well, be interesting to know. <laughs> be interesting to see if she remembers you now. Oh, probably not. Oh, she, oh she'd remember me, whether she'd admit it or not. That's the question. Before you write it, I want to talk about. Where could they find this book? I mean, because we, we're talking about book. We're talking about different stories. The book is on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's on pretty much every bookseller there is. You can. It's easy to find. Okay, I just want to make sure before because yeah. I, I do that. Yeah. Uh, and as far as the whiskey, you can go to Toxic Masculinity Whiskey Over Fifty Plumbing System. And uh, trust me, you can order it. It's, it waits for we, nobody. We can legally ship to thirty-one states. There's a, uh, a, a liquor. Uh, yeah, we were making fun of you. I don't know you were. <laughs> hey, cool. Yeah, Thai gold. A liquor retailer yeah. in uh, San Diego, California oh, yeah. called Country Wine and Spirits. It's about a. That could actually ship to more states a, than we is can. Is that a three bot? So you can buy it off our website. You can go to their website. It's available. Old boy named Larry Taylor. He was in Vietnam. And then he became get. This is Thai gold. Yeah. Thai gold. That's about 22 carats. That's three ounces. Let's see. Yeah. He was a soldier in Nam. Then the CIA recruited him. He went to work for the CIA. I know a criminal, oddly enough, on the East Coast that collects. He's got a $3 million knife collection. And uh, you got you got a love. He's in the book. Chet, Chet, uh, Chet has bought just about everybody's gold over the years. He's yeah. got about half of mine that I That's came nice back book. with, and everybody. I could have used that when I was uh, ingratiating myself. Well, you know why guys bought this? Skate money. Skate money. I I've carried gold all my life for just that purpose. You get in some third world country, yeah. you know. Gold, everybody knows it. Right, you can get a right. camel, you can get a woman, you can get an AK-47, you can get a flight out of the country. Right. You got gold. You know, don't depend on the State Department <laughs> because they won't give you anything. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I got to get this thing there's, fixed. There's a yeah. Hang on to that, brother. That's a couple of history there. I gotta, a, yeah, I got to get it fixed. You know, the, coming you know back the Buddha goes in your mouth. Yeah. When shit yeah. got it around your neck, when the shit hits the fan. Oh, sorry, I should not use that. <laughs> that when the feces hits the blessing house. Yeah, that might be Cambodian mouth. gold, actually. 
It could be Thai, but it could also be Cambodian. Because the Cambodians yeah. used to put the Buddha in their mouth to protect themselves from bullets. Yeah. yeah. I used to put the Buddha in my mouth to protect the gold from my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was coming back from uh, California one time. I'm from L.A. and had a heart attack driving down the road. <laughs> I must have grabbed, you know, a, I lost the real Buddha. The Buddha that he had in Nam. I lost uh, that. So this is a replacement Buddha. But, yeah, I got to get this thing fixed. Well, you know, the Buddhas, uh, uh, I work with Montagnards, the hill tribes. And, yeah. and they didn't use a lot. Of, well, they were Buddhist kind of, but they were more animus. You know, they had uh, spirits in the stream, and the tree had a spirit. The monkey spirit, and it was, you know, spirits. They were animus. And they, you know, they wouldn't use the, the Buddha so much as the Cambodes and the, uh, the Vietnamese would. The, the Vietnamese and the Cambodes would carry a little ivory Buddha yeah. in a gold cage. And that, and, and start, somebody fire a shot. Everybody start popping them in their mouth. <laughs> going, oh, okay. <laughs> you know who to search when they're dead. That's right. I love his voice. Mm? I love his voice. You two are very are. We could have been disconcertingly <laughs> similar. It, it, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time <laughs> dealing with how similar you two are. <laughs> uh, On the other hand, down at this end of the table, we have the sophisticated, that's right, more uh, mature uh, group. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how sophisticated, but uh, yeah. More mature. <laughs> that was a questionable, too. Wow. We've, well, all, I, we've all had our bulbets. We've all had our bulbets. I knew yeah. an Apache, full-blooded Chiricahua, that married one of America's uh, most preeminent anthropologists, archaeologists, anthropologists, and that, that uh, could uh, recite the Song of Roland in the archaic French, and was the most nasty, evil, killing machine you ever met in your life. So, you know. The, the book, Apache or the, the woman? The, the Apache. Okay. Uh, Edie <laughs> was. The woman Edie was, was worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, don't worry about John. I, I, I knew where Don was going with this. <laughs> I, I, okay. I knew where Don was going with this. I, I just like. <laughs> so, uh, you were at the University of Arizona or? Arizona State. Cut him off. Cut him off. <laughs> what, what is that? U of A? Hey, they, my they sister like matriculated from the University of Arizona. Oh, geez. Well, I just mean it's it's kind of like the interstate rivalry. You've always been the University of Arizona. Where is Arizona State at? Tempe, Arizona. Tempe. Tempe. Yeah. And where Tempe. is U of A? Tucson. Right, right at Tucson. Tucson. Well, that's where we met all those really blonde chicks at the Big Tip. Yes. And they were there all Republicans. There are, there are, there is. We went a, to a Trump rally. Yeah, and then I mean, there was all these really good-looking young co-eds, mm-hmm. blonde. They all looked alike. They were like Barbie dolls, one after the other, and they were all medical students. And what was the and, other? Uh, business, business, business. Yeah. And they all staunch conservatives, all that. You know, some of them were wearing Trump capes. There were guys the too, but he didn't notice that. No, no. <laughs> Trump, I'll tell you what, Trump can pull the good-looking I'm women, here for the know? kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to stay with that program. <laughs> I actually met Donald Trump. Did you? Yeah. 
I was in New York with a guy that's in the book by the name of Cosmo. That's not his real name. Kramer. <laughs> no, 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 no. This uh, we called him Cosmo because he's such a little prick. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we were in New York, and we—I don't remember where we were staying, but we said Trump had just bought one of the big hotels. I don't even remember which one, but he just purchased one, and it was in the news that Trump had bought it. So he said, let's go over there and check it out. So we went over and we went to the bar. It was late at night. There was only about eight people in the bar. We, I think we were the only maybe two out of three people sitting at the bar, and then there was a couple of people at booths, you know. And we're sitting there having a scotch, and uh, in walks Donald Trump. And he walks over to where we are, and he's like, uh, you know, are you guys guests of the hotel? And we said, no, we just came over to take a look at the place. And uh, he said, well, what do you think? And we said, well, we think it's a really nice place. Maybe the next time we come to New York, we'll be guests here. Wait, wait. He didn't and, have, like, uh, no, no entourage? He's just by himself? Just by himself. It was about 11 o'clock at night. When was this, though? Um, God, I don't – it was a long time ago. It was yeah. some <laughs> – it, it definitely wasn't in this century. No. Uh, it was sometime in the 1990s. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the Trump Palace or the something like that. Right. But he was very... Castle. Trump Castle. He was a very <laughs> personable guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was a really well, nice he's a, guy. He's right. in construction and when he started right. running for president and everybody was like, oh, oh he's a freaking monster. Right. I said, well, I met him, and I thought he was a very personal guy. Uh, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> From my California friends. Yeah, right. But uh, I thought he was a very personable guy. These are the fuckers that only read the headlines. Yeah. And don't in read in headlines. the book here, we met a young lieutenant colonel in oh, yeah. Russia. That we, we were at the KGB Officers Club in Moscow, and it's built on tiers. You know, the generals are up here, and you go all the way down, and at the bottom end is the militia, which are the cops in Russia. They don't have a gendarmerie or police force. The, the militia fills that role. And uh, we met a young lieutenant colonel who spoke like six languages and that. Everybody, that we were with a, a major general from the KGB who would invite us. We were his guests. And everybody treated this guy with a lot of deference in that. Had we known who he was going to be, we'd have got to know him a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Very, very personable man. Really. His name was Vladimir Putin, if you haven't I, already figured that out. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Putin. But even General Morozov, I mean, he was a general to a lieutenant colonel, but he treated him... Respect. We were all respect. we were also there with the the uh, and uh, internal uh, the deputy uh, what was it called uh, uh, guy from uh, he was Kazakhstan he's oh. now the interior Bulat Yanisayev yeah. I actually brought him over to the states and threw a huge dinner party at um, a restaurant in Georgetown in Washington D.T. seven. 17, 8, 17, 1767. It was a number. 1718 or something. I don't even remember the number. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But it was a it was a really upscale restaurant. We had our own private room. I had my own special menus printed and Shit. everything. I had the people from Chevron and Exxon and Shell there, and <coughs> we put on this dinner, and basically created the independent petroleum industry in Kazakhstan right after they broke away from the Soviet Union. Really? Yeah. Well, and unlike we Hunter went, Biden, we I never saw Union. a frickin' penny. <laughs> the, the only people going to the Soviet Union at that time were con and lawyers. Right. We weren't in that group. We had gone over there. We, we were working for a... Uh, aluminum mining concern out of London that had verticalized their market. They they made a deal with the mines. They made a deal with the refineries. Hello. <laughs> they made a deal with the uh, you know all, all the way out to the ports. If you, it was so screwed up. Like if you you want to mine aluminum, you mine the bauxite, you ship it by car, rail car, to a refinery who then turns it into aluminum. But you have to make a deal with not only the railroad to take it to the refinery, you have to make a deal with the people who own the boxcars that haul it. And then the marshalling yard, both at the beginning and at the end, and it was a really complicated method. That's how we eventually got to meet Moritzov, and that was, they, they, they were the fixers. When, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the KGB no longer had a function because they belonged to the Communist Party. The Communist Party's out of, out of uh, control. They no longer have the control, so they don't have a job yet. They own industries. They own cities. They own all the concessions for the mining. They own their own secret ports. They have their own Spetsnaz, their own Navy, their own military, all that belongs to the KGB. So they were looking for a way to make this all happen. Now they call them the Slivovaki, which is the KGB functionaries that eventually became an oligarchy within within Russia's political system. So we're there. We're in the early days. We're a couple of senior NCOs at found a nice little niche with a couple of mining companies that want to do a, 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 a program over there. So we're, we're over there. It's kind of like the wild, wild west at that time. And we get to meet all these people. So uh, Nazarbayev, who's like the number two man under... The guy that's in charge of... Kazakhstan. Bulat. Not, not Bul- Bulat was the interior minister. He's still the interior minister. But the, uh, any, anyway, his best buddy is a guy named uh, Rustam Karbayas. And Rustam, they'd both been KGB officers. When Rustam was in charge of all the Spetsnaz, the special forces in Afghanistan, uh, Bulat, had been his uh, commanding officer. He was a lieutenant general, and uh, Rustam was a brigadier general. And Rustam had, uh, the Soviets operated different than us. You know, like we'd go in, like in special projects, we'd set up 
patrol area and would go in, do all this stuff, set up raids, ambushes, raid, and, and operations. They operated off the hilltops. They would go in and seize a mountaintop, and they'd use that as a patrol base, and they'd spread out from there. So they got this incident where uh, they have a Spetsnaz company that's besieged on top of a mountain by the Mujahideen, and they're getting hammered. And uh, Rustam comes in as a command and control helicopter and is trying to supervise the battle, and he lands on top of the mountaintop, and he's got the political officer, the commissar for the region with him, and it, the chopper gets shot down on short final. So the chopper's on the ground. They're on the ground. So he's calling in airstrikes all night. Next morning, they're getting ready to pull out, and uh, the, they're taking all the wounded out first. And we're in a nightclub with these two guys in uh, Alma-Ata, where all the TV stars and all that hang out and that were drinking some vodka, getting pretty hammered and that. And fermented mare's milk. Fermented Which is very milk. salty. Interesting. <laughs> and, and very refreshing at the time. And uh, the, the commissar, the next morning, they're taking all the wounded out. Now, he's on the ground with a brigadier general who's in charge of the Spetsnaz. It's a Spetsnaz team there. And the commissar, the political commissar, gets on the helicopter when it comes in to pick up the wounded. And he goes... I have to go out with the wounded. And he goes, no, the wounded are going out. There's only so much weight, and you're, you're excess weight. And the guy goes, no, no, if I have to go out because if they capture me, the entire Soviet re, you know, regime will fall. And he goes, you're a political officer. Just like, like what are you going to learn, where Lenin's tomb is? <laughs> and the guy won't get off the helicopter. He goes, only the wounded are going out. And the guy goes, I'm not getting off. So he pulls out his Markov and shoots him in the kneecap. Because now you're wounded, now you can leave. Oh, so, so oh wow! So there are the three of the four of us are laughing about it, right? And then we start going, and he goes, he pulls his shirt off. And he goes, I got shot here <coughs> by fragments from a Stinger missile that was shot at my helicopter, and I got wounded here. And I pull my pants down. And I go, I got shot here by an AK that was made in Russia, wielded by a North Vietnamese, and. 1968, and we're, we're doing, we, we look over, and the other end of the bar are all these TV personalities from the Kazakh uh, TV programs. They're going like that, looking at us. It was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was a different attitude then. It was a different, different uh, atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, the... Uh, American cop that was there doing the TV program about we, cops we, in Moscow. We spent a night yeah. in a KGB steam bath <laughs> in St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. And by the end of the night, all the KGB agents were up against one wall like this. <laughs> we scared the crap out of them. <laughs> well, they're going... Uh, well, you know, uh, we're taking pictures. Good. Get a shot of that. <laughs> that that fighter from uh, in the UFC who who retired. Where where, where, where was he from? The bad, the so, so tough guy. Khabib. Khabib. Yeah. 
Uh, but I couldn't tell you right off hand what, what part of Russia. I just know that, uh, you know, he's... Remember Steve Seagal and his bodyguard? <laughs> he's a very good friend of Steve Seagal's, by the way. No fucking way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've known him for years. Oh, jeez. And A, he was not a SEAL. <laughs> B, he was not in the CIA. A, he's not, not in the CIA. He's a fucking... He's insane. <laughs> well, yeah. He's a good guy, though. Yeah, you know, you whatever you hear, yeah, I know a different guy. I know a guy who's a very accomplished jazz musician who used to go down to the hospices with uh, veterans and actually write letters for him and that. Really? And uh, was very involved in really? That's the finding... That's the you, you do. That I know. Okay. That, that was very involved with um, the disclosing the sex trade of using minors in Southeast Asia. Really? Yeah. Uh, different different guy yeah. than what you hear and see that, on that TV. That guy I respect, the one you're talking about. That's the one I respect, too. Yeah. But he had a bodyguard that I met, met that was on the most wanted list <laughs> for the Balkans, for the, for the Balkan wars and that. Going, hey, I, I know that guy from somewhere. Different guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't like him because uh, they consider him bullshit. As yeah. Not being a martial artist, as not being right. this, not being that. The guy I know had a good heart. What more can you say? No, you're right. You're right. No, that's, that's, I didn't know anything about that. Remember the. Well, Trial of Billy, the, point. the trial of Billy Jack. Prost. The, the guy that did all the martial arts stunts and that was a guy named Bong Su Han. Yeah. I once helped Bong Su Han. He and I threw a drunk out of a bar up on Santa Monica Boulevard together. <laughs> I, I had this friend, Dr. Paul Chung. He was the head of the U.S.-Korean Navy Cooperation League. And he used to come over, and he'd always stay in Little Korea. I went out with him one day in, uh, up on, up in, <coughs> when he was staying in Little Korea. We're going to go down to this bar, and uh, meet a really close friend of mine. A and match? his really close friend was Bong oh, Su no, Han, no, no. the founder of Hwarang Do. And the, and the guy that did all the stunts for Tom Laughlin in the Billy Jack movies. And he was a really, really nice guy, but we're in this bar up on Santa Monica Boulevard, and some guy, is, some drunk, starts fucking running around the bar, picking fights and screaming and shouting obscenities and acting like a complete asshole. And I said, well, you know, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, well, we My need to get this guy out of here. And I said, I'm on. And the two of us went and grabbed a son of a bitch and threw him out on the Santa Monica Boulevard. It was fun, <laughs> but that's my—that's uh, one of eighty. That's that's my movie star martial In arts story. <laughs> now the dad's dad's the movie star here amongst us. Yeah. Oh come on, Dan! Well, I, well, you know, I grew up in Newport Beach, California, and yeah. I knew I, I lived at the Balboa Bay Club. Oh yeah, and I knew. I mean. 
Tell them how you met John Wayne. Uh, well, oh, this is a good. Oh, yeah. John Wayne was a what, very you're good. You're holding out on me. There's the classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're holding John, out on John me. John Wayne yeah. was a very good friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. Very good friend. And here's how. Oh <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah. You'll we, love this. We lived in a little guarded community in Newport Beach called Bay Shores when I was in my late teens. And my brother and I, my brother's a little younger than me and I, we were very good friends with two little boys. His name is Spanky. Yeah, we called it, well, his name was Jim, but we called him Spanky because he looked exactly like Spanky McFarland. (laughs) He does. But... We took him to Mexico. <laughs> now, hey, let me tell my story. <laughs> first. All right. Anyway, so the Gates, their father, who was a big game hunter, and their whole house was full of stuffed heads and elephant tusks and crap like that. Trophies all over the walls. Oh, yes. Yeah. He decided to move to Palm Springs, so they moved out, and the rumors started in the neighborhood that a big movie star was buying their house. Well, the big movie star turned out to be John Wayne. And it, it, was, it wasn't directly across the street from us, but it was like at a 30-degree angle. Okay, It was very close to being across the street. Well, at the time, I had a 1930 Model A Ford that I'd built from parts. (laughs) And it was bright canary yellow with black fenders. It was, like, totally cool with a rumble seat. So one day, I'm coming down Bayshore Drive, which had speed bumps. And I'm speeding because I'm... 17. That's right. And when you're 17, you speed. That's what you do. (laughs) So I'm going about twice the posted speed limit, and I hit the speed bump there right by the little beach, and my left front tire, (laughs) my left front wheel breaks loose. The car falls down onto the speed bump on its axle, and the tire rolls. It's done this. The tire rolls down the street, up the driveway, into the garage of the Gates house, okay? And hits the side of a station wagon that's parked in there and then goes, and falls flat. So I'm like, oh, my God. I'm a 17-year-old kid, right? I'm like, oh, my God. What am I going to do? So I go up. I didn't want to go in the garage uninvited and get my wheel back. So I go up and knock on the front door. And who answers the front door? John Wayne. Yeah. Because that's who's bought the house. I'm like, "Uh, sir, I'd like to know (laughs) if I could have your permission to go in your garage and get my wheel. He's like, what's that? I said, the wheel of my car is in your garage, and I'd like to know if I could have your permission to go get it. So he walks out with me, and we walk around, and there's my wheel. Unfortunately, it hadn't done any damage to the side of his car because he had a special built Mercury station wagon with a two-inch raise in the roof to make it easy for him to drive. Right. So I get my, I, go, I run back over to my house, which is almost right across the street, and get my brother and my toolbox, 
And we come back to put the wheel back on. And the whole time he stands out there with us, he goes, what, are, you know, who are you boys? What do you do? You know, you know, a How lot of questions. <laughs> so we, we get the wheel, we jack it up and get the wheel reattached and drive it back around into the alley, into the garage so that I can finish fixing it, you know. And after that, you know, he knows us. So we see, and he's on the board of governors of the Balboa Bay Club, as is my father. So they have these black tie board of governors meetings about every three months, right? And we always see him. And I remember one time, uh, we're in the men's room at the Shell Bar, and and there's a board of governors meeting comes on. John Wayne walks into the men's room, and he's got his tuxedo. And he's messing around with his tie and he's like he's like let me tell you something boys never do anything in life where you have to wear one of these goddamn monkey suits <laughs> so i i just got to know him because he was a neighbor you know so then i went in the army and i went in special forces well, well while i was going through special forces training group he was making the movie, The Green Berets. In fact, I had just gotten to the 6th Special Forces group out of training group, and we were marched down to the theater in Fayetteville, North Carolina, to all attend the premiere of the movie, because it premiered in Fayetteville. Right. So I, I got leave... And, I, and I, when I graduated from Special Forces Training Group, I got leave and I went home to Newport. And I thought, I'll go over and see John Wayne. And I went over to his house and I knocked on the door and a, uh, a, a, a woman, Hispanic woman maid answered the door. Chica. And I said, I'm, lo I'm, looking for, I'm looking for Mr. Wayne. And she said, well, he's out on his boat. Well, I knew where the... Wild Goose was birthed. It was over around by the cannery, just not too far from the American Legion. So I drove around over there, and I went in the parking lot, and the slip was empty. And I remember it was low tide because the thing down to the slip was super steep. I walked down there, and I paced around a little bit, and I'm like, well, crap, I missed him. Yeah. And I'm, you know, leaving, going back to Fort Bragg. And I walked up the really steep gangway back up to the parking lot. And just as I got to the top, I looked down and I see the nose of his boat coming around down by the American Legion up the channel. Right. So I waited and I was in my greens. I had my dress greens on. I had my green beret. I had my spit shine jump boots, you know. And, and I waited until they came in. And so as, as they started to come into the slip, I walked back down the gangplank onto the dock, and I stood there. And before the wild goose was even fully in the slip, he jumped off, and he comes out, and he looks down at me and goes, well, you made it, did you? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, I have to hear everything about this. Come on board. So I went on the wild goose, and he had the captain take it back out, and we cruised around the bay for about an hour and a half while I told him every, you know, all about training group and everything I'd done and what I'd learned and blah, 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 and where I thought I might be going from here, yada, yada, yada. And uh, 
By the next time I got back to Newport Beach, he was gone. All right. So that right. was the last right. time I Let's ever saw him. Give a shot of reality here. We went to, what was the name of that yacht brokerage in, in uh, Newport? Oh, uh, oh yeah. We, we drive up there. <laughs> he owns a Pinto station wagon. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> With the headliner is falling down. We drive up there. We're both in suits. We're in the afternoon, he goes, hey, let's go down. Let's, let's look at yachts. They give yeah. you free champagne. Free champagne. <laughs> you, know, you may not want to see them. Let them see. Oh, you, you we're, we're going to go down. Okay. We got you know, good suits, looking good. We drive in the parking lot, park the fucking Pinto over in the back, and that go in, and the yacht salesman's there, and he's, oh, oh, while we're thinking of buying a yacht for the corporation, uh, we're looking nothing under a hundred <laughs> feet. You know, so we go down. He's showing us the yachts there. Take us out on a cruise around. Hot girls you know, are giving hot us champagne. Hot girls giving us, you know, the champagne and all that. We get done, walk back out, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I know these two guys are really going to buy this one. Walk out in the parking lot and get into a Pinto station wagon <laughs> and drive off. So, <laughs> We 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 were well known in Newport. Oh, yeah. We, they John Wayne and the Yahtzee. <laughs> All right, Miller. We've bored yeah, these people we've long enough. Exhausted our welcome here. Oh, Miller, you gotta go in there and take a piss. Mm. Oh, yeah. We don't we don't pee until oh. five in the morning. Oh, isn't that sweet? Well, go well, in there because go in the bathroom, wash your grubby hands. I only in. pee at night. Wait a minute, there's Three something in the bathroom, Miller. There's something in the bathroom. Oh, I think oh, it's no. a raptor. Go in there, wash your <laughs> grubby hands. <laughs> He's he's got he's, he's got yeah. a, a little bit go. of a shrine go. in there. You might they, didn't, they didn't offer it to me, so they know that I'm yeah. wise. To yeah, well, yeah, you're. Come on, Miller, go go to the toilet. I don't have to go. What you go wash your hands. Yeah, go see what's force go. myself. Oh fuck shit. Go see what's there, Miller. He's, he just wants to go in the door. Would be go to the bathroom. I hope to God it isn't because he's gonna follow me in. Oh there. my god. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think we could be friends. <laughs> I really do. You know. Maybe just a tad. Yeah. I'm driving. Oh, good. Good. Here's <laughs> the rest of the ice. What ice? The one that's in this green bowl. Right? The half, well, I the don't half need cube. any fucking ice. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I don't need any friggin' ice. Well... We'll have to bring they some wine. They next did time. say they could edit this, so yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in you all. You only brought one bottle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you're right. You... Him and I could be twins. <laughs> you must have thought you were dealing with an amateur. And so. uh, no, we had no suspicion in that direction. <laughs> well, after all, the other half is a college professor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing my thesis over here. Ha uh ha. -huh. Yes. You know, I love. Uh, he sleeps Ron in a tweed White. jacket. Huh? My favorite comedian is Ron White. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. Oh. My favorite Luke comedian is Louis C.K. I don't know how many. I don't know how many bouncers they were. It would take to throw me out of the place, but I knew how many they were going to eat. Yeah. It's always a good number to start with. <laughs> and he owns a bulldog. 
That's right, he does. Several. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, have we bored these poor men? Who's going to show us the way to the pavement? Yeah. How do we get back to a I'll show you. I'll the shortest. You're going to drive? I'll drive. Uh, this is going to be good. Uh, this All right. right. Our lads. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Make sure you know how to start the truck. You know. <laughs> is that your dually out there? Oh, we're right right. behind you. That'll be convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Well, say goodbye, Mr. Severn. Well, do you ever actually make it down into the town? Yes, sir. Yet again, most Friday nights, we can be found at the parish. The parish? It's right on Oracle, just above Orange Grove. They make gumbo? It's a Cajun bar. You have to believe. Is it near Putney's? Putney's. I don't know. Bunny's Bar and Grill? No, I don't know where that is. Before Bunny's? The Cajun is right at Oracle and Orange Grove. Which corner? You know, these two guys guys over here look like Texans were involved in the metro. And uh, it's a Cajun bar. They have incredible Cajun food, and they make fantastic cocktails. At least they had a switchblade. I'm addicted to their Sazeracs. (laughs) So... Uh, What's a Sazerac? Sazerac is the Amacet. official Amacet. cocktail of New Orleans. Oh, Anacet. Voted as such Amacet. by the New you Orleans City You wash the glass Council. with Anacet. Anacet is made from wormwood. Right, right. It's, take, a, uh, it's a hallucinogen. A little bit of sugar. Well, the French say. With some people in our profession, bitters, which is a that of the crazies, <laughs> say okay. it's a sedative. And some Angostura bitters. <laughs> muddle it but around. it's good. Add yeah. some rye whiskey. And then you Bit stir of that with ice. Evening. And then you take another you. glass and you wash nice, the inside of it with absinthe. Sorry, I didn't enjoy so a cigar a with you. But coating of absinthe. Yeah, okay. I'm off that. And then you strain yeah. the rye. You're a better man than me because I, I couldn't. I know. I could have shrugged it is, off. I'm starting <laughs> to have <laughs> kidney problems. Louisiana. You know, so I it's from decided Lu- to dump this uh, tobacco. The original. Sazerac was made with cognac back when Louisiana belonged to the French. Back when people were educated and refined. And when Napoleon sold the Louisiana Purchase to Thomas Jefferson, they couldn't get cognac anymore, so they started making it with Pennsylvania rye whiskey. During this portion, uh, and uh, it's my favorite. I love them. I just love them, and and the parish. There's all, I've only found two places in Tucson that make a decent Sazerac. One of them <laughs> is the parish at the corner of Oracle and Orange Grove, and the other one is Scott and Company right downtown on Scott Street. But there's no freaking parking down there, so I go to the parish. <laughs> yeah, you ever, have you ever read W.E.B. Griffith? Oh. He well, knows him very well. I know. They're friends. William E. Butterworth. William E. Butterworth is his oh, real shit. name. Oh, really? He used to live two houses from me in uh, Daphne, Alabama, and he used to go to the American Legion right down the road from me and that. Him, his son used to uh, be the uh, publisher and editor of Boy's Life. For years. And, and they his started son writing. now the one writing the books. Now writing the books. Now. I know Webb Griffin. Really, we've gotten so drunk together, we're like you and me. Two peas <laughs> in the pod. Because yeah. he, uh, he speaks about that 
the the drink in his yeah book. the yeah, well, yeah he does talk about no, his series his series about the Marine Corps and about special forces yeah, and about right. the cops and that well, are yeah. all very well written yeah because yeah. he lives that life he had he had been in that life uh, early on and then wrote about it later yeah so yeah I, I love his, I love his William. books about man. Argentina yeah he lives oh, there now. Really? Where, yeah. Yeah, he lives in Argentina. He lives in Argentina. The last book about him meeting the woman, you know, the, the uh, oh God, I'm trying to think of Carlos Hancock. Or? He lives that life now with his Argentine wife. Really? Wow, yeah. that's great. When He's I was in cool Kuwait guy. right after Desert Storm, I became friends with the... One of the sons of the richest family in Argentina. Oh, his name was Felix Uliburu French. He owned the beef. And Jose Felix's brother was the ambassador to all the Gulf Cooperation Council countries, which includes Kuwait, from Argentina. And Jose Felix came over right after the war, the Desert Storm War, to sell beef to the Kuwaitis. And he and I became best friends. And then later I went to Argentina and I met up with him there. And he took me to a restaurant that only sells the beef raised on his ranchos, which was absolutely freaking incredible. So I love the W.E.B. Griffith books about... The guy from Argentina yeah, yeah. who came to Texas yeah. and then became a special forces guy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's uh, mother's was German. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I love that because Vietnam. I've got a li- just a little bit of. Well, you have to remember to that relate. We've been around for eight hundred sixty-two yeah, years. Yeah. You had to read a book or two. Yeah. Were, <laughs> by, by the way, you and I have something in common. Uh oh. We have the same nickname. Dumbass. If you no, if you read that book, <laughs> you, you knew that was coming. The my, beast. Don't ever serve that the up. The beast. If oh, you read the, the book, beast. my nickname is the beast. This is my coin from the Ten Special Forces Group. Look at the backside. Bring hey, bring those uh, tele- <laughs> those uh, glasses over here. Yeah. <laughs> it is okay. Well, do, do go on. I would like to hear the, the story. I, I got that because that I'm actually a werewolf. I was born in 1356 in a small village on the border of <laughs> Wales and Mercia. And on, when I was 14, I was out on the moors and I was bitten by a wolf. And you're you're sitting there laughing, and it's the truth. <laughs> I think that was Mr. Fry who was laughing. Yeah. That <laughs> was so I, got, was, I started to get, I started yeah. to be called the Beast, and it stuck. And if you look, if when you read the book, through most of the book, I'm called the Beast. Yeah. So <laughs> when I tell you, your 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 that actually was given to be to by the legendary NFL Hall of Famer Jim Brown. Really? Yeah. So yeah. He, really? Was, he was one of the play-by-play. Uh, you're still young enough. To go uh, so the ultimate fighting championships at one point because they want to have a tough commentator also make comments. So when he oh, first met me, he's like, well, Dan, when I first met you, I didn't think that much about you because I was the only guy that showed like up to, wearing uh, a sports jacket, our, a tie, our wearing theme is one glasses. more. They always they, everybody thought I was somebody's yeah, exactly. manager until 
It was time to stand up, like uh, Ragnar, up at Ragnar. The, uh, the podium there with the yeah. back of the eight-man turbot. Surrounded by the, the participants. Peace to another. Well, no. Very good. <laughs> <as it's wrong. laughs> Capadre, 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 Capadre. I yeah. love it. Oh, yeah. It works out perfect. Yin and Yang's have met up here once again. <laughs> all right, Melody, you've eaten up these people's time yeah. and their energy. Yeah. And all right. Yeah, we're going to we, gotta try to find our way back to Tucson now. Well, okay. Oh, we've got to sign the book. Oh, yeah, we'll sign yeah. the book. Yeah, one last time, put one more plug there for where they can find where they can find this book. Not only just this one book, but you said you, you guys have got a couple more books as well. Are they also available on Amazon? And oh, yeah. Amazon. Yeah. We Few and Whispers Ow. in the Tall Grass are available on Amazon and available on Barnes & Noble. And Vagabonds. Because, like, you know, you know Donna Friday, you know, we first started the podcast, it was kind of like you know, a lot of people thought we were going to be in a niche market of just doing MMA stuff. And like, no, we, we want to be in MMA stuff. We want to be in professional stuff. We want to be about, we're, we're just two crusty old, old Americans, is what we are. We want to talk talk to real Americans about what's going on in this world here as well. So, two you guys crusty, have lived a part. crusty old Americans. Well, that's what I was referring to, to us, you know. <laughs> so you might as well talk to two more crusty yeah. old Americans. Yeah, you, you just Sounds might like have just... residue on the rubber. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a quote from George Washington, wasn't it? Uh, uh, George somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure he wasn't a university guy. No. <laughs> if it was easy, the college boys would be doing yes. it. Yes, aren't they just right. fancy? <laughs> there you go. This is fantastic. Yeah. God bless you guys. Thanks yeah, for having no, us up. No, we really appreciate you having you guys out there. Vagabonds there. Make sure you guys check that out. Vagabonds. Have you? Uh, might, like living in a fucking ice cube. Yeah. Well, he's he's a Fountain Hills fellow, so, you know. Thanks for having us. Just say Phoenix. I'm just Phoenix. It's just a suburb of Phoenix. Yeah, but we got to, well, in addition to a good friend of ours up in Phoenix, too, our school of Who? Jokin. Oh no, Jokin! Jokin's a, Jokin's the reason communism failed. He <laughs> ate it. He was a former former Bundeswehr officer, who's uh, six six three, eight three hundred and ten pound shaved head, you know Wharton he's, School he's of Management graduate. We took him to we went to Haiti he, for the earthquake. Yeah, and he didn't know at the time that we had. He goes, "Oh, we have to go to Haiti. They're killing people there." Well, in the meantime, him and I are down in the parking lot, arranging for uh, Heckler and Coke automatic weapon, uh, six <laughs> pistols, hand grenades, and all that in case we went in. And then we we, we asked the <laughs> State Department to get his clearance to get in. They couldn't do that, so we we. We hired, we hired this, hired this, who used to be Donnie Brasso's, uh, uh, you know, the guy Donnie Brasso, was his partner in the FBI, he's a Charles Arkasian, he's a little fucking skinny sociopath from (laughs) Armenia, and he, and he goes, well, if you're going to get a plane or anything to do in in the Caribbean, you got to get hold of Chuck, because Chuck will find out what you need to do and, and what you need, and the guys that he brought us are two Cuban pilots, and I'm going, hey, look, you know, they just killed a couple of uh, guys there. Can you land us outside the city? And the guy goes, 
So the, we had the credit card from Freeport Mac Moran's uh, CFO. CFO, which is a black some kind of thing that you know that you know when they pulled it out, birds flew out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's and got angels, no, no fucking limit on it. They go, oh. and I'm going. Yeah, what what do you need? And he goes for the amount of money you're playing for, paying for this. I'll swear it was children playing with matches. <laughs> uh, and we asked if we could land outside the city, and that we we landed in between two C-117s. And as soon as we hit the first taxiway, the Leard pulled off and went up to the to the. Uh, it's in the book. They went up to the uh, the main terminal and that. And then they turned around, took off on the taxiway, going out the other way. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, great thing with a French, uh, Don't ever trust old people. Employee. They'll get you in trouble. Oh, old Severin's got a lot of enemies. <laughs> a lot of enemies in we, Russia. We were so. getting a briefing from, uh, you know, Pazaki. What's her name? The uh, fucking redhead Saki. The one a woman just like that. Georgetown, you, you, you know. Giving a briefing to all the rescue workers there. They go, well, you can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. And they're going. She she was yelling at this lieutenant colonel from the Air Force that was the air traffic control for Port au Prince, bringing all the C 117s. They were landing every 15 minutes. A C 117 was coming in, getting unloaded, and going back out again. Damn. And she was holding up the whole thing to let. Uh, what's his name? Anderson Cooper and that Mid- bunch oh, in there, fuck. and I'm and and, I'm, and she's screaming at this lieutenant colonel about you know well, you don't know what the president wants. I know what the president wants because I talked to him today. <laughs> and there's all these rescue teams from Germany, from South Africa, and all that in the tent getting getting briefed and that, and she's going on and on and that uh, ragging on this lieutenant colonel, and I'm in the back of the room and I went. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> right? And the whole room went <laughs> dead silent. I said, you know, you're yelling at this guy who's probably got 30 years experience doing emergency operations and that. You don't know shit. You're some Georgetown University little cunt that came up here <laughs> with a political agenda and that. And the whole place is like in shock. And everybody's trying to bleed out of the tent. And, and the Hessian, that's six foot three, six, six foot, foot nine. Is next to me. He's going. This is your good cop act, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is my good cop act. Yeah. We ended up. We we ended up leaving out of there on the same Learjet, with the same two Cubans. Yeah. yeah. Great trip. We had this little guy named uh, Gator. Gator. Gator had been left behind by his team sergeant and the team leader in the ambush in Afghanistan. They thought he was dead. And he made he was not dead, and he made his way back to the FOB and beat the shit out of both of them and a major, and they threw him out of the army. Little looked just like little uh, uh, George uh, Sherman, uh, the redheaded uh, cavalry leader for uh, the Civil War. Billy Sherman. Billy Sherman. Yeah, yeah he goes marching through Georgia. Had all this ammo and shit from these guns that we illegally acquired. And I said, get rid of him. And he, he goes and he comes back in five minutes. I said, go out in the fucking end of the runway and throw throw the guns and the shit out, you know, disassemble them, throw them in different places. And 
back in five minutes. I go, what'd you do? He says, I threw it in the shitter for the FEMA guys. They, they had all these FEMA guys from New York. They had their air-conditioned tents. They had their slit trench. He threw the rounds, all the ammo in there because they were burning their shit every day. That would be interesting tomorrow morning. He goes, let's hope it hits that bitch from fucking Georgetown U. <laughs> Good time. This is the book. Well, You'll have fun, Sam. No, this oh, is thanks, yeah. thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. It's been, cool. been, been a pleasure. Diana. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you. It's been what a great time, guys. And I, I really do. I hope we get together again. Oh, I, just, just socially. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.